Amen. How's everybody doing today? Glory to God. Just a quick word about um, Halloween and the Trunk or Treat event and all that kind of jazz, you know. Um, the Bible says that we should have no fellowship with darkness. And they're right. it's right. We should have no fellowship with darkness. But the, we are to be in the world. Jesus left us here in the world for a reason. Paul says in Corinthians that um, he writes and he says, um, I told you not to have any fellowship with those who commit adultery. He says, but it didn't mean anybody at all that commits adultery or has this whole list of other sins because he says, then you would have to remove yourself from the world. But don't have fellowship with a, a believer who is in adultery and this other whole list of sins. And so what we see here is this principle that we're not to have fellowship with darkness. We're not to allow darkness to affect us in any way. But we can't run and hide from it. If we were to run and hide from darkness, we'd have to remove ourselves from the whole world. And so what we, what we are is we are light. And what Jesus has called us to do is to position ourselves in the midst of darkness so that we can be light to darkness. And we shouldn't let the darkness affect us. If we see that the darkness is affecting us, take a step back to where you know the light is get stronger, get more light, and then go back out and affect the darkness again. And you'll come to a point in your maturity, guys, where you can walk into any place. I'm not saying that we can all do this today, but there comes a point in time where you can walk into any place and you shed the light and the darkness doesn't jump on you. And this is what we're called to do. We are called to be light to the darkness. We're called to bring Jesus to every hidden place. Halloween is a high, holy evil holiday, as some of you may know, uh, but by and large, 98% of the people that celebrate Halloween dress up in costumes, probably even 99.9% .9 of them, uh, don't believe in that. They are not celebrating it for that reason. So everyone that gives out candy isn't evil. So relax. <laughs> relax. Love you guys. Yeah, all this means is that you're reading your word. All this means is that you're reading your word. Now I have to explain what you've read. Praise God. You're actually doing it. I told you to do it. And you went and did it. And now you're like, Pastor Matt, there's a problem here. Okay, let me show you a little more excellent way. This is great. I, I love it. I, I, have to, I just can't be happier. So we're in our Redeeming Love series, uh, talking all about love. And uh, today we're going to talk about the completion of love. Today we're going to talk about the completion of love. What does love look like? What is love? How do I love? And so we know that, we know because we've talked about it in the past weeks, we know that we love because God first loved us. Right? And so God, in his mercy, loved us. What did that look like? And so we're going to talk about this today. And how... Do I now, now that I've been motivated by love, I understand that God loved me. I understand that love is this force that's more powerful than any other force in the world. Blood of Jesus, love. <laughs> this powerful force, how do I do it? How do I put it to work in my life? And so the answer is way more simple than you know. <laughs> it's way more simple than you know. The answer is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole thing. And so we're going to read through it line by line, and we're going to read through it word by word today. 
And so we could read through it in like 30 seconds, but I've got 45 minutes to tell you what it says. One of, the, one of the points on your Engage card is this week I will read 1 Corinthians 13 every day. And so I want to challenge you this week. I'm going to go through, we're going to read it today. But I want to challenge you this week to check that box. And then read it, but don't just read it to get to the end of it. As you read through it, stop and think about what every single word means. Think about what every single word looks like. Think about every place in your life as you walk through your day at work, at the store, at the coffee shop, where you need to be patient or kind or long-suffering. <laughs> right? And so read that every day and reflect on it. Meditate on it. This is what it means to meditate on the Word of God to think about it, sit back, reflect, it, apply it to your own life. Amen? All right, let's jump into some scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. I told you we were going to read 13. I'm starting in 12. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, listen, I want you to earnestly desire. I really want you to have a passion for the best gifts. Have a passion for the best gifts. And yet, I will show you a more excellent way. How many of you love the gifts of God? Anybody? I love the gifts of God. I, I love healing. I love prophecy. I love uh, preaching and teaching and miracles and all of these gifts that are the gift of faith. I love all of these gifts, the gift of helps, the gift of intercession. I love all of these gifts that are in the body. I love when I do them, and I love when you do them. Actually, I think I love a little bit more when you do them than when I do them. Not because I'd rather have you doing it, but because that's just a dream of my heart that's come true. That the whole body here at Redeeming Love, the whole body of Christ across the Capital District would be activated in their gift. Yes. Eagerly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And now for the whole next chapter, Paul's going to go on about love. And so here's the secret, guys. Gifts are great, and the more excellent way is love is love. And every time we use our gift, it should be in love. <laughs> there's a, when we go through the gifts, when we go through the gifts test, there's a quote that I read, and I didn't think to look it up before today, but it just came to me right now. And I forget who said it, but he says, uh, speaking of the gift of discernment, and he says, those who use the gift of discernment and don't apply it through love had better not use their gift at all. Yeah, sign me up. Those who use the gift of discernment and fail to apply it through love would be better to not have used their gift at all. Whoa. I forget who said it. I'll have to find out for you guys. Some renowned man of God. It wasn't my thought. I, I really think all of the gifts are this way. I mean, I don't know that I'd go right to the fact of not saying anything, but our gifts are all going to be better when we use them through love. This is what Paul's saying. This is really what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but I have not love. I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Someday, maybe I'll learn to speak like Pastor Matt. God help you. Someday, you'll learn to speak like Billy Graham. Someday, you'll learn to speak like... But if you don't, if you don't do it with love, it doesn't matter who, who you are. You could be the best orator in the world. But if what you say, you don't say with love. You're just a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Amplified says, you are an annoying distraction. Wow. Uh, oh, somebody just twisted. Man, that hurt. <laughs> let's, let's, put it, let's put it into, you could be the most gifted orator in the world, and yet if you don't say what you say with love, you're just an annoying distraction. Dang, damn it. Again, talking of the importance of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. This is a really good list of things to want in your life. You should want faith so that you can move mountains. That should be a desire of every person's heart in this room. That should be, a, that should, I want that. I want that in my life. I, I don't know that I want all knowledge. That's a whole discussion for another time. I don't think that anybody can actually know everything. And even if you were to possibly be able to know everything, I don't even think that you can handle it. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle that much knowledge. That's true. You can't handle that much knowledge. All knowledge, no one can handle that much knowledge. The more I find out, the more I know, the less I want to know. Though I understand all mysteries, though I have the gift of prophecy, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, uh, pursue love. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. And so it's almost as if Paul is putting prophecy above all of the other gifts. I'm not saying that he is. Don't go there on me. I'm just saying he puts this up here on this level. And then he says, even if I can do that, but I don't do it with love, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. We should look to do these things. But when we do them, we want to do all of them with love. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, although I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned by the flames, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith, boy, then he says, even the demons believe, right? Woo, we just entered into a whole nother level of don't do that. Last week I said this, I said, um, if we do the works without love, then there's no reward. I said that last week. So where does that leave us? Do we not do the works until we can love? No, not necessarily. There's a level here of being mature, being immature, of never having to do that work before. And so the best way to do this is to, uh, the Bible says, uh, to, him, to, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it. 
To him who knows what to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So if you know that you're supposed to do something, if you know that something's right to do, and you don't do it, it's sin. So do the right thing even if you can't do it in love. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If you're mature in your faith and you do something <laughs> that you know that you're supposed to do and you can't do it in love, there's no reward. If you're immature, I don't know. Maybe there's grace from God. I mean, I'm sure there's grace for God. Maybe there's grace for God in that instance. But here's the point is that no matter what we do, no matter what our hands find to do, no matter what God has given us to do, no matter what it is that we know that is right to do, we need to seek to do it with love. Love should be the overwhelming characteristic that everyone sees in your life. Love should be the overwhelming characteristic that everyone sees in your life. I don't care if they tell me that I'm good looking. I don't care if they tell me that I can dance well or not. But what I do want to hear is I want to hear people tell me, hey, you love well. Let the story of my life be he loved well. I don't know that I can love perfect. I'm not Jesus. But just let it, just let it be said that I loved well. Jesus. There's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long. NIV says patient. Passion translation says is love is incredibly patient. I don't I read something one time and it said patience and long suffering are not the same thing. I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> Love suffers long. When we love, we're patient. When we love, we'll endure suffering. Right? Why? Why would you do that? Because I love. It, there's suffering involved. When a loved one's in the hospital, that's... There's suffering attached to that. It's not pleasant. It's not peaceful. But we don't run away because we love. We love that person. And so the same thing bears true that, you know, there are times where we go through suffering, and I don't know why. Guys, I've come to the place of admitting I am not smart enough to figure it all out. I, 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 I'm 100% I'm, I'm sure I will not know all the answers. This is my place of humility. I just understand that there's more here than I can know. Even if God were to share with me all of his wisdom and knowledge in this fact, I think my mind would explode. I can't, I can't get there. I can't connect all the dots. So I just collect them. I can't connect all of the dots. So I just collect them. There's dots that happen throughout your life. There's events that happen throughout your life. And you will not be able to connect this dot to that thing and this dot to that thing and things that happen in other people's life. And you're, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Stop trying to connect the dots. But you collect them. That thing happens. You say, man, I remember that. Someone's going through a tough time. I'm here with you, man. Someone's got a decision that they, they make and, and, you know, they're praying about it and you feel they made the wrong decision. You can't 
connect the dot and correct the decision, so you just love them through it. This is what it looks like to collect the dots rather than to connect them. <sighs> Love is patient. When I was little, my mom used to say, you know, um, your father was absent in heaven the day that they were handing out patience. <laughs> and we, uh, you, uh, if you, all you had to do was get around him and you knew that that was true. <laughs> he didn't have much patience. However, what isn't true is that it doesn't just get handed out in heaven one day and, oops, you were missed it. You were absent that day. If you don't have patience, I've got good news for you today. First, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a song that you guys know. I heard, you, I heard you saying the words, so I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you that. But if you don't have patience, you're not stuck. Just go sit with the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience. How do you get patience? Go spend time with God. We don't need to seek patience. We need to seek the patient one. We don't seek the healing. We seek the healer. Everything that we have, it's found in him. And we'll have all of these things when we spend time in our intimate relationship with him. So this week, as you're reading 1 Corinthians 13, invite Jesus into the room. It's the only book where when you open it up and read it, the author shows up. And let him teach you what it says. Let him teach you what it says. Love is kind. There's that candy bar. It's not a candy bar. It's like a granola bar, and they're kind bars, right? And it says, um, uh, we don't have to be nice because we've already been kind. Uh, clever marketing there. Kind. All we need to do is be kind. Just treat others the way that you would want them to be, that you would want to be treated. How would you want to be treated? Not how are you treated. That's a side discussion. How do you want to be treated? And then, how does that other person want to be treated? Love does not envy. Passion Translation says, refuses to be jealous. Envy of all of the sins is no fun at all. Envy of all of the sins is no fun at all. What am I saying? With every other sin that we can sin, there's some level of pleasure in sin, whether we admit it or not. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. And so lust sins, gluttony sins, anger sins, prideful sins, uh, uh, greedy sins, they're all, there's, all, there's a measure of pleasure attached to all of them. But the one sin that has absolutely no pleasure attached is envy. And with uh, the rise of social media and the comparison that we see between people, envy is on its, on its way up. And it's begin to be uh, cherished as a, as a um, worldly thing to do, to be envious and jealous of other people. But the Bible forever has said that envy is wrong. Yes. 
The world seeks to make envy be okay. Ring the bell. Envy's not okay. And you'll never be happy with it. Here's how envy works. Here's how envy works. Someone else has something that I want, and I can't have love for that person, and I'm not in a good place because that other person has the thing that I want. And then I attain something that's similar, or maybe the identical object, maybe I attain something better, and now I can't be friends with that person who had what I want because now what I have is better, and the comparison is still there, envy is still there, and now I can't love them. And watch, even if, even if I were to go and get something from someone else and I take what was theirs out of envy, I still can't love them because they let it go. Wait, wait, it gets even better. If there's someone else, I mean worse, if there's someone else and I can't have it but they lose it, now I still can't love that person because if that thing was mine, I never would have lost it. And under no circumstances, envy ever your friend. And under no circumstances can you ever uh, enjoy envy. It's never enjoyable. It's never pleasurable. Wow. Whew. If you have envy in your life, remove comparison. Throw out Facebook. Do whatever you got to do. Just get rid of envy. Here's another secret to getting rid of envy in your life. If you see someone who gets what you want, be the first person to congratulate that person. And let's go back to what we said already. If you have to do it without really meaning it truly, then do it. And let the feelings catch up later. But be the first person to congratulate. This is how you chase envy away. This is how you make the enemy run and hide. Love does not parade itself. Passion Translation says, love does not brag about one's own accomplishments, achievements. <laughs> Professional sports has gone from celebration to parading. They don't celebrate anymore. They parade. <laughs> it's not about a celebration where you're just like, yeah, yay, we won. No, it's like, that's right, I did it. And it's on display for all of us to see whoever watches it. And it's gone into other areas as well. There's parading all over the place. Are you watching the parading? Do you celebrate with the parading? Do you engage with the parading? Your, your, team, your team scores and you're like, oh yeah, buddy, in your face. <laughs> That's not loving. Come on, you guys, I'm ruining your Sunday. The rest, I'm, ru I'm ruining your Sunday football afternoon. You're welcome. I watch football. It's okay. But when they do that and they begin to parade themselves like that, just say, it's not okay. It's not okay. I can still watch and just say, it's not okay. At least I can. If it, and, and for some of you, maybe you can't. It's a decision you have to make for yourself. Love is not puffed up. I think we're only, on a, we're, we're only a couple verses in here. Love is not puffed up. Passion Translation says, love does not inflate its own importance. Hallelujah. Amplified says, love is not proud or arrogant. Wow. Any of those things, they got to go. Bible tells us, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. You know what? I take the humble position of saying, there's no way that I can know. 
and I don't know whose bright idea it was to put me up here, but I'm here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna share something. But I don't think that I got here on my own merit. I got here through obedience. I got here because God looks on the, the brokenhearted and contrite in spirit, not the puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Hey, we made it to verse five. Love does not behave rudely. Passion translation says, does not traffic in shame or disrespect. Wow. You know, sometimes uh, when we say things and we're trying to be funny, we venture off into shame or disrespect. NIV says, does not dishonor others. Not throwing stones today, guys. I'm reading scripture. <laughs> Love does not act disgracefully. Love does not behave rudely. There's a quote from the movie Blast from the Past. We just watched it recently. And um, Brandon Fraser, and I forget the other people. Uh, but the one person says this. He says, I used to think that manners were rich people's way of being more important or looking down on others. But Adam told me that having manners shows that we care for the people that are around us. Having manners isn't to say that, you know, isn't your way of saying I'm better than you. Having manners is simply the way of caring for the people that surround us. That's what manners is all about. That's why manners were put in place years and years and years ago. It's an act of love for others. And you know where Adam heard that from? Strangest place, his parents. It's in the movie, guys. Love does not seek its own. Passion translation, not selfish. New Living Translation, love does not demand its own way. Paul says, uh, Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, let him pick up his cross and die daily. Die to the selfish ambitions and motivations of your heart every single day. Die to the selfish ambitions and motivations of your heart every single day. Take that selfish thought and put it away. So selfishness has no place in the kingdom. We need to love ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. I'm not saying that we don't. But selfishness has to go. Putting myself first above everyone else has to go. That's not love. You're not loving when you're seeking your own. Love is not provoked. Passion translation, not easily irritated. Not quick to take offense. This moves me on to the place where my, the goal of my life the goal of my life is to become unoffendable. Where no matter what happens, I choose not to be offended. I can't stop the things that, that might happen that might bring an offense. I can't stop those things from coming. But what I can do is I can stop my reaction of offense to them. I can stop my reaction of offense to them. I can just simply choose to not be offended when whatever happens. That's the goal of my life, to not be offended. Multiple goals here given today. Amplified, not overly sensitive. 
not easily angered. Love is not provoked. Love keeps no record of being wronged. NLT, NIV, and AMP, Amplified. Love keeps no record of being wrong. We need to, some of us need to tear up the, uh, the filing cabinet. Start pulling the sheets out and just getting rid of them. Well, that, that didn't happen. Maybe it happened. I don't know. I don't have any record that it did. Years ago, we were gathered, I don't remember exactly when, but I, I remember we were doing something. It was, you know, hey, you know, think of who you need to forgive right now. And I struggled to figure out somebody that I needed to forgive. Like, geez, I don't know. I don't know. How did I get there? How did I get to this place where I've got nobody left to forgive? Because I just forgive all the time, as quickly as I can, to the point where I don't even take an offense anymore. I don't need to forgive somebody if I don't ever take an offense. Forgiveness becomes a mute point if you are not offended. Don't get offended in the first place. Carol looked at me wrong today. I could have been offended at that. I'm not, no, she didn't. I'm just saying. Like, you're around people, there's an opportunity to be offended. Is there another person in the room? Opportunity to be offended. Are you all alone? Opportunity to be offended. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's here. Nobody loves me. <laughs> you know, if someone, if they, why are they not calling me? Why are you not calling them? <laughs> oh my goodness. Really, love is not provoked. You know, I think of the movie, um, The Avengers, where they got Hulk uh, Banner, they got him up on the ship, right? And Tony takes the sharp thing and he sticks him in the side and he's trying to provoke him to be the Hulk, right? Remember that scene? And then everybody else is like, what are you doing? Like, this guy's a, a rage machine. You're, you're trying to turn him on? And Banner's just not provoked. He's not provoked. He refuses to respond. Can we keep our love on? Can we keep our love on when someone is intentionally provoking us? when somebody is intentionally irritating you. We've all been there, guys, and you're probably going back there this week. <laughs> you're sitting there, you're whatever, you know, you're at work, and that person They're clicking their pen just because they know it pisses makes you mad. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I thank you for the forgiveness that I feel right now in Jesus' name. Have you ever read the screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis? He says, don't, don't try to convince so-and-so that, you know, uh, whatever it is, just tell them that, you know, they're doing that intentionally to irritate you. So it's those little lies of the, of the enemy that we believe that cause us not to love. They're not clicking that pen to make me mad. They're not tapping their foot to make me mad. They're not fill in the blank, whatever it is. 
to make you mad. They're just doing that because they actually have a nervous habit. They've got this thing that they started doing one time and they don't know how to stop. It's all good. Can we keep our love on when people are intentionally irritating you? The pen clicking is a small thing. What about name calling? What about when people are setting you up to fail at work? What, are, what about when people are going out of their way to undermine you, going out of their way to pull the carpet out from underneath you, going out of their way to make you feel like less? Can we continue to love then? Because that's what this is. That's what this is. Love thinks no evil. Wow. This is a hard one. <laughs> love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. I watch my thoughts constantly. I am a, I'm a thought guardian. The Bible tells us that spiritual warfare is about watching your thoughts and maintaining your thoughts and controlling your thoughts. Someone who doesn't control their thoughts has very little strength or power in spiritual warfare. I'll say it again. Someone who does not control their thoughts well has very little power in spiritual warfare. We need to control our thoughts. I could give you a scripture to prove it next week. Uh, I don't know where. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, something like that. Thoughts become actions. If we don't guard our thoughts, we wind up doing things that we don't want to do. Thoughts become actions. Pastor Tom always said, a thought unspoken dies unborn. It's true. But let's stop thinking it too. Let's go to the next level. Jesus was able to read the thoughts of the Pharisees. Someone thought something and Jesus heard them. And everything that Jesus did, every work that Jesus did, we're invited into. Thanksgiving is going to be a lot of fun for some of you. One person got that. Perfect. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20 says this. It says, do not curse the king, not even in your thoughts. Do not curse the rich, not even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How did they know that you thought that thing and that this thing was going to irritate you because there was a bird in flight that heard your thought while you thought it and told them that if they did this, that it would provoke you and they're just gullible enough to do it? <laughs> I want to clean up all my thoughts. I am not there yet. Things come on the news and I think of evil things. I, I don't watch the news a lot, but I hear about the news and I, I think evil towards these people that should have justice brought to them. But I need to not think evil. I need to just not think evil. My, my thought life is not completely clean. It, I'm working on it. As you can see from my previous comment. <laughs> Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love has no delight in what is wrong. Passion translation. Love has no delight in injustice. I don't want to celebrate even when the bad guy gets what's coming to him in the movies. Even when he gets what he deserves. I don't want to celebrate that. 
Love rejoices in the truth. Passion translation, love joyfully celebrates honesty. Joyfully celebrates honesty. New Living Translation, love rejoices whenever the truth wins. Whenever the truth wins. Philippians 4, 8, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. This is a favorite scripture of mine. I cannot, for the life of me, memorize this one. So if somebody wants to put this to song like the other one, I'd be very appreciative. Love rejoices in the truth. Love celebrates when truth wins. Meditate on what is good. Meditate on what is true. Love bears all things. Passion Translation says, Love is a safe place of shelter. For it never stops believing the best for others, and it never takes failure as a defeat, for it never gives up. Love bears all things. Put your love on. Make a decision to love. And then love, no matter what happens, moving forward. Don't stop loving. I'm not saying we lay down like a carpet and let people do whatever they want to us, but we just keep loving. We just keep loving. You just keep loving. They're not behaving lovingly towards me. That's okay. You can continue to still love them. Jesus said, uh, you've heard that it was said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. For, the God, for God sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. And if you love only those who love you, what do you do more than the tax collectors? Tax collectors were another level of sinners. There, whenever we read, there, was, there, were, there were sinners and then there were tax collectors. Like, they're another level, boy. And so what, even the tax collectors just love those who love themselves, who, who love them back. Love the people who hate you. Love the people who do wrong to you. Love them. Love believes all things. Love believes the best in all things. Love believes the best in all things. Not to believe everything I hear. Obviously, that's not what this is saying. Love believes the best no matter what happens. Love comes back to this point of, God, I remember that I don't know. God, I remember that I don't know, but I trust you, and I'm going to believe that this is going to work out for the good. I'm going to Romans 8, 28 the thing. I believe that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes and love him. Love hopes all things. Love hopes in all things. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith people without hope are unstable. Faith people without hope, it said, they're weird. When we have faith and we don't have hope attached to it, faith, faith is for an individual, individual action. Faith is for individual things. We're people of faith. Faith is, is for an individual thing, but hope is overriding. And I have hope that no matter what happens, no matter what I see, no matter whether I get the answer that I'm looking for, I don't, I still have hope in God that it's coming through. 
Love endures all things. Sometimes we have to endure. We endure while the Lord makes a way of escape. We, we push through and we escape. But we can endure. Love endures. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Even if we don't get the outcome that we're looking for or the outcome that we want, if we've maintained our love through the event, through the thing, then we've won. Too many times we, we tie victory to a predicated outcome that we've thought up. That's not victory. That's not what we're talking about when we say love never fails. It's not that love is always going to get me the decision or the, the outcome that I want. That's not what it's saying. Love never fails. So if I can stay in love through the, through the event, through the situation, through the circumstance... I'll never fail. I may not get exactly what I wanted. I may not get exactly what I thought I was going to get. I may not get exactly what I predetermined I should get. Pride. But I'll win because love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect in co has come, that which is in part will be done away with. It comes back to asking the question, are we okay with the idea that we may not know everything? Are we okay with the idea? It's, it, I mean, it can't be more plain. We know in part. Guys, you only know part of the situation. I don't care how involved in the situation you are, you only know a part of the situation. Right. When, you, when, um, when a police officer shows up at, at an accident scene and they question the, uh, the people who saw it happen, they want to do that independently and they want to ask them all individually, there's a reason for that. Because if they question four different people, they're going to get four different stories. Why? Because everybody's going to see something different. The car was red. The car was orange. Well, if you're talking about my car, you're, you're both right. It's a reddish-orange. <laughs> the car was blue. The car was green. Well, it was a bluish-green. Well, so this is why, you know, when you read through the, the three synoptic Gospels, there's a little bit of differences from one to the other. Why? Because that's the way an eyewitness count goes. It just actually brings more credibility to the reality of the situation. If they all lined up perfectly, we could say, no, they got together and they fabricated this. But the inaccuracies actually show the authenticity. Wow. <laughs> Good God. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so if we love, we just got to come to the place where we're okay with, maybe we don't know. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We're to be childlike, not childish. There's a difference. Be childlike in your faith, not childish in your faith. <laughs> a child will dance wildly without anyone looking 
because it just wants to. That's childlike. Childish will do the same dance. It'll look a little different because he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to get you to look at him. That's the difference. What's the motivation of your heart? Is your motivation of your heart to just dance wildly before the Lord? Or is your motivation of your heart to get everybody on the page looking at you and you're controlling the room? Childishness has got to go. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're only seeing a part of the equation. How many times do we have to say it? We're only seeing part of the story. We don't know everything. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. One of the greatest pleasures that we have in all of life is that we get to know God. And another great pleasure that's probably even more fantastic is that God gets to know us. We get to be known by him. I can't, I can't emphasize this point enough that it's a wonderful thing that we get to know God. That's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's beyond wonder that the uncreated God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself to us and that we get to come to know him and have a personal relationship with him. I can't really imagine anything being much better than that. Imagine the best person you know times a thousand, you're still not even close to who God is, right? He's just so much better than we ever give him credit for, and we get to know him intimately, personally. But what's glorious is that he comes to know us as well. And it's, it's, really, it's really significant that he chooses to know us individually on a super personal level. He's not, just a, he's not just a blanket God. He's not just a God who sees from outer space. He is right there with you in the moment with every single thing that you're going through, that you've ever gone through, that you will ever go through. He is right there with you. He's feeling those feelings with you. He was a man and he went through the same trials, troubles, struggles, tribulations that we're all acquainted with. He was a man who was acquainted with sorrows so that he could know what we're going through. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It's almost as if they build on top of themselves. We begin with faith, and we have faith. And then it leads us to hope. And we have hope. And the God of all hope fills us with joy and peace. And then it leads way to love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we celebrate our faith often and regularly. We celebrate hope because we all have it and we all want it. But today we celebrate love. And not because it's Valentine's Day. We celebrate, we celebrate love because God loves. God has chosen to love. And now he has given us his strength to love. This is our God. This is what he does. This is what it looks like. He loves. He loves. He loves. It's just part of who he is. It's just an extension. It's really just an extension of who he is. This is his character that he would love in all circumstances, in all situations. 
If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, you don't have this relationship, this love relationship with God, I want to invite you into that relationship today. You, just like I, can have this relationship where God, with God where you walk hand in hand, arm in arm, you fellowship with him in the good times and in the bad. All of us are, he died for the whole world, everyone in it. And so if that's you today and, and you want to make this decision to follow Christ and to have this relationship, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come and live inside my heart, and that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. God, I ask that you would uh, give me strength to do what you're calling me to. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to check the box on your Engage card that says, Today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. If you check that box, I'm going to send you some information about what, uh, what the decision means and what your next steps are. Your next step, your first most important next step, find a great church to go to. If you like it here, we'd love to have you here. If you don't like it here, we'll, we'll, we would love to help you find another church that's more suited to your needs. Um, walking with Christ is the most glorious thing that you will ever do. It is the most exciting adventure that you will ever go on, ever. So I just want to thank you guys all for being here today. We'll be wrapping this series up next week. Uh, come on up and receive the offering, Pastor Tom. Come on, Pastor Tom. Thank you, Pastor Matt. That was one of the best messages I ever heard from you. <laughs> amen. Amen. Can we get an amen on that? Amen. You, that's a that's a re-listen because there were a lot of nuggets, a lot of truth bombs dropped. Oh, God is so good. Many of you know there's a lot of different ways to give here at Redeeming Love, and. Um, there's a card in your chair backs, and the slide on the screen explains the different ways to give. So I want to do just that. Uh, I want to exhort you just for a couple of minutes here. In, um, in the light of what Pastor Matt was saying, 1 John chapter 4 says, The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. Or God continually exists being love. No, the word says that he who comes to God must first believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life and I gave my life to a God who loves me and you more than we can ever grasp. And when it comes to our giving, the primary reason and the motive to give is simply because God loves me. I mean, there, I, a lot of people give to get. And a lot of people say, well, if I, if I sow this, I'll reap that. But really, the bottom line is simply this. God loves me. It's mind-blowing. God loves me. So when it comes to just giving God my tithe or giving God an offering or, or the Bible calls it the, uh, uh, the grace of, of giving or the grace of generosity. I mean, really, that's the motive. We just give because God loves us. Amen. 
that's just something that's got to drop down into you. We, I don't give because it's a legal thing to do. I don't, I don't give because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm not going to get blessed. I don't, I don't give because, oh, man, if I withhold, you know, God's going to consider me to be a robber. It's like, no. I just simply do this because God loves me. God, just God loves me, and I'm so grateful. I, I'm just so grateful that I have something to give because he gave it to me. All that I have is his. That I'm just so happy here, God, here, here. And here's some more. And then God just multiplies it. So, Father God, we cannot thank you enough. You've provided seed to sow, and then you, you multiplied that into bread to eat, and then you multiplied that into into. Uh, the ability to feed many and then you start all over again and just bless us more and more and more I can't thank you enough that you're a God of love not a God of hate we don't serve you because we fear you that you're going to punish us we serve you because you love us and it's just in your nature to bless and so God I just pray that you will pour out blessing on everyone everyone today we pray in jesus name amen. amen and again if you're a first time guest with us right over in that corner there the connect corner uh, make your way there to the connect corner after service for your free t-shirt our prayer and healing teams are going to be available under the screens uh, come up front if you need prayer for anything god bless you thank you for coming out on this rainy morning to love god and love one another you are dismissed to love one another.